Alrighty, this morning we started in Luke chapter number 15, and uh, I did have a different direction that I had planned on going tonight, uh, but I was looking at it and thinking about it, and I'm like, if I don't finish this message tonight... I'll probably never finish it, and boy, wouldn't that be a shame not to finish this message, and so I thought, boy, it'd be good to come on back and look at this and see if we could finish this message. We began looking in Luke chapter number 15 at the three parables, and of course, a couple of months ago, we looked at these three parables uh, uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, but we came back to them as a follow-up to our missions month, and looking at why is it necessary to have so many different types of ministries? Why is it necessary to have many, many uh, different varieties of, of people and ministries going different places? And then we look here in Luke chapter number 15, and we see that the Bible gives us three examples of lost souls, three examples of people that need the Savior. And in looking at these three examples, uh, we can see that there are a variety of people uh, that need Jesus, and there are a variety of ways that we can go about bringing these souls to Christ. Uh, I intended this morning to look at all three of them uh, and thought that I was preaching pretty fast and furious until I looked up at the clock and realized I had unused all my time up on the first point. And so uh, we're going to come back this evening and look uh, at the other two. Now uh, this evening we're going to read uh, in Luke chapter number 15, uh, but we're going to begin reading in verse uh, uh, number 8, and then we'll read down through verse number 24. The Bible says in Luke 15, starting in verse number 8, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner that repenteth. And then we move into the third example, which we know as the story of the prodigal son. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger." I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. 
Thank you, Lord, for this privilege of being able to come to your house. Thank you, Lord, for the people of God that, Lord, are faithful to attend the Lord's house. They're faithful to listen to your word. They're faithful, Father, to follow you. And, Lord, I thank you for each one of them. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless now as we begin to look into your word. And, Father, the message that we began this morning, Lord, as we look at the final two parts of this message this evening, I pray, dear Father, Lord, that it will create in us a burden and a desire, Lord, to go and find Find those which are lost and Lord point them back to the Savior I pray. Thank you dear Lord for your goodness to us. Be with us this evening in Jesus name. Amen and amen. You know, excuse me I'm going to get a drink of water here real quick. We look here in this passage of Scripture, and of course this morning we read the previous verses to what we read tonight, which talks about the lost sheep. And we looked at this passage, and we see that here in this passage there are three examples of lost souls, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We saw three pictures of the soul winner, the shepherd, the woman, and the father. We saw three methods of winning the lost. We saw the concern of the shepherd, the commitment of the woman, and the consistency of the Father, and we see that there's illustrated three pictures of salvation. The sheep is escorted back to the fold, the coin is enlightened by the woman's candle, and the son is embraced by the Father. And so this morning we took some time and looked at the lost sheep and the shepherd. We saw the condition of the sheep, we saw the concern of the shepherd, and we saw the carrying of the sheep back home. But this evening we want to move on to the next point, and that is the second example that Jesus gave in this collection of parables and that is that of the lost coin. Now the coin is different from the sheep in that although the coin is lost, the coin does not know it is lost. We talked this morning about a sheep that's been separate from the, separated from the herd, how that that sheep will be frantic, that sheep will be looking, he'll be searching, he'll be trying to find his way back to the herd. Although he doesn't know the way back to the herd, he will be frantically trying to find the herd and he'll put himself in danger and what the sheep needs is for someone to direct him back to the fold. But whenever we come to this illustration of the coin, we see that the coin is different from the sheep because the coin is also lost but unlike the sheep the coin does not know that it is lost. Uh, you may lose a coin and that coin may be gone and you may be concerned about the coin but the coin has no knowledge of its well-being. It does not know that it's not where it ought to be. When we look at this story we see that that's exactly what is taking place. The coin is lost but the coin is not making any effort to find its way back to the piggy bank. It's not finding it, making any effort to, to go back to the change purse. It is lost, but it has no inkling or no desire to find its way back. However, the woman knows it is lost and she is diligently searching for it. Coin's not searching. Coin's not looking. The coin's probably laying in a corner covered with dust or it's rolled underneath the bed in that corner that you never go to or maybe it fell down through the vent in the floor and it's in the heating system now or maybe it fell through a, a couple floorboards and it's in the crawl space. Or it's somewhere where you don't normally go and there it lays. It's not searching. It's not moving. It's falling behind the dresser. Nobody knows where the coin is. And without the awareness of the woman in this story, the coin 
will never, ever be found. Have you ever uh, moved houses? Whenever I was a, a young fellow, my dad moved every couple of years. He was taking these small churches, trying to get them back on their feet, and we'd settled in a house, and then we'd pack up and move. And then we'd get settled, and we'd pack up and move. We were constantly moving to different homes and everything. And so this didn't happen too much because we were moving quite frequently. But you know, if you live in the same place for a period of years, you stay there for a while, and then you pack up and move and you grab that piece of furniture and you pull it out and one of the kids say, oh that's where it is. Uh, and boy, something that they lost years ago, they have just finally found it. There it is. Now they know where it's at. Uh, uh, we see here that that's what's going on. Unless the woman uh, would have been looking for the coin, uh, no one would have ever seen the knee. No one would have ever missed the coin. Uh, no one would have ever known the coin needed found without the awareness of the woman. As I think about the lost coin in this parable, I think of the forgotten people around the world. Appreciate Brother Rick and the ministry he has to the people in Manamar. And boy, I'm telling you what, there's so many missionaries who their heart's desire is to go to people who have never heard. Go find those people who do not know that they are lost. I think of entire nations that have never heard the gospel. I think of pagan children raised in pagan cultures. They've been taught to worship false gods. They've been taught to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. They've never been told about the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never been told about the hope of the gospel. They have been brought up under false doctrine and they have absolutely no idea that they're in need of a savior. They have absolutely no idea that they need the gospel. They are lost. They are completely lost and they do not know that they need to be found. They put their trust in deities that do not exist and because of this false hope they have no idea that they are helpless and without God. And unless someone goes and finds them, they will forever be lost, just as this coin is lost. And it's easy for us to think about those in foreign lands and faraway places. <clears throat> oh, there's that, that nation, there's that place. And Joel and I looked at the big map back here on the wall several years ago, and we were trying to find the little most out of the way little islands and then we'd go look that island up and see if anybody had ever went there as a missionary or anything like that and there's places all over the world that's never heard the gospel it's easy to think of them but you know what? I think also of the children in our communities and in our public schools and here next door that have never been exposed to the truth of the gospel you know although we don't like to admit it we live in a bubble. We come here to church. We listen to the preaching. Our dads were saved. Our granddads were saved. Great-granddads were saved. We've always been in church, always been around church. We've taught our children about God and the things of God. We live in a bubble. But there are people within three or four miles of this church, probably less than that, that have no idea about the gospel. You see, oftentimes we're guilty. We're guilty of whenever we say, oh boy, you know, 50 years ago it was this way or 30 years ago it was that way and our time kind of stops, our clock stops. 
You know, a lot of us are still thinking that year 2000 was just last year, you know, whenever we were all afraid that all the computers was going to shut down and we stocked up all the food and everything in the closet and we knew the world was going to end. Uh, that was last year, right? Uh, I mean, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. But the truth of the matter is there are people, my children, your children, uh, who were born after that uh, who are now having children uh, and there are people in our community who have grown up in the last 20, 30, 40 years who have never stepped foot inside of a church building and they are raising children who know nothing about the gospel. They're lost coins. And unless somebody becomes aware of these lost coins and starts going and looking for them, they will forever be hopelessly lost is one of the reasons that we put such an emphasis on our children's programs and put such an emphasis on our vacation Bible school and put such an emphasis on CG3 and getting into the community and getting those kids and getting them here because somebody needs to tell them the hope of the gospel. Somebody needs to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's lost coins in the foreign lands. There's lost coins in our neighborhood when I look at the parable, I see a couple of things. One, I see the commitment of the woman in finding the lost coin. It says in verse number 8, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she find it. I see the commitment of the woman to find the coin. I see here, first of all, that she provided a light in the darkness. She lit a candle. You know, if you're in your home, and this says she lost the coin in her house, that's the illustration that's being made. If you're in your home, you'll notice that the areas you're commonly in are well lit. Well, yeah, there's. if you normally read the newspaper in your recliner, it'll be well lit at your recliner. If you normally eat dinner at the dinner table, it's good lighting over top of the dinner table. This is a place where you normally go. And all throughout your house, the places you commonly go are well lit, well lit. We have a bar between our uh, kitchen and our family room. There's a little bar comes out between there. And we've lived in this house for 23, 24 years, something like that. We've lived in this house where we live now. And um, there was never any light over that bar. And I guess as I get older, my eyes are getting dimmer because I like to sit at the bar and read. And I said to Melissa, we were talking like we need to put a light over this bar. You know, I can see a little better here. And so we got a light and I installed a light over top of the bar. And now we're like, how did we ever live in this house without that light over top of the bar? My goodness, we, we actually could see the bar. I mean, it makes a big difference. But the places you commonly go are normally well lit. But the places you don't normally go aren't well lit. You go into your closet and there might be a little bit of lighting in there, but it's not, not lit as well as it could be. You go into your pantry and, and you're like, what's back in there? I can't see. It's got this one little bulb up here that doesn't get back in behind the shelves. So it's not as well lit because it's not somewhere we normally go. I think that we can apply that very easily to the application being made here. Places I normally go are well lit. I'm here at the church every week, every week. I'm here in my seat. I'm listening to the preaching. I'm listening to Brother Danny teach Sunday school. I'm lit, And it's well lit. And like I was talking about that bubble, I begin to think that everybody knows what I know. But the places we don't normally go 
aren't as well lit, then somebody needs to light a candle and start going into those places and finding those people that have never heard the gospel. We see that she provided a light in the darkness. You know, when we think of lost souls, we often look, we often overlook the darkness that is all around us. It's everywhere. We often overlook it. I heard a story the other day, Brother Shane Lewis. Some of you may have heard the name Shane Lewis. Shane Lewis was a pastor, passed away a couple of years ago. Brother Shane Lewis was young in ministry. He was just a youth pastor, lived in a little single-wide trailer behind the church, and he seen some two boys come over, and they were playing basketball there at the basketball court behind the church, and he said to his wife, he said, I'm going to go over there and play basketball with them boys and see if I can get them to come eat dinner with us. He had no idea who they were. They were just boys from the community. Brother Lewis gets up and he goes out there. They uh, shoot some ball and he starts talking to them and invites them to dinner. Well, they come to dinner. His wife feeds them a meal. He feeds them a meal. They're sitting there at the table, begin to talk and find out that boys, they're of the rough sort. These boys are from a rough neighborhood. They've got a rough background. They've got rough family lives. Uh, uh, these are not church kids. These boys never been in church. They're rough kids. Long story short, after that initial contact, Brother Shane Lewis keeps up the relationship. Years go by. Don't have time to tell you the whole story, but one of those young men has been pastoring a church in Alabama for many, many years. But you know what? Oftentimes, if we were in that situation, I've been guilty of this. I'm not accusing you. I'm talking about me. Look out there and say, who's that at the ball court? I don't know, maybe they'll leave. You know what, if Brother Shane Lewis would have said, I'm in my recliner, I've had a long day, I think I'll just sit here, I don't think they're hurting anything. I doubt that young man would have ever found his way to the truth of the gospel. Somebody, somebody needs to the candle and going and finding the coins. Not only uh, did we see that she lit the candle, she put was a light in the darkness, but we see that she swept the house. <laughs> she swept the house. She lit the candle and she looked in all the dark corners and she said, I still don't see the coin. So then she went and got the broom. She began to reach into places that she couldn't reach. She began to access places that she wasn't able to access. And I began to look at that and I began to think, boy, how much this is like foreign missions. We can't go everywhere. We can't touch everybody. But boy, we can support those that can go. And these are, we are reaching into the corners. We're reaching into the places we can't go. She got that broom and she said, we're going to find those that don't know. She began to sweep the house. There was not a rock uncovered, no corner undisturbed. There was not one area that was missed in her search for the coin. And then the Bible says that she diligently searched until she found it. She knew it was there. She got out her change purse she began counting her money, and she said, hang on, I'm missing a coin. Have you ever done that? You pulled out your wallet, and you was counting your money, and you're like, hold on, I'm missing a $20 bill. And someone says, how do you know you're missing a $20 bill? I know how much money's in my wallet, and I'm missing a $20 bill. This lady said, I'm missing a coin. It was here this morning, and it's not now. It is 
somewhere in this house and I'm not going to stop looking until I find it. You know what the Bible tells us? That the fields are white unto harvest. The Bible lets us know that this world is full of people who need to hear the gospel. We know that they are there and we need to search until we find them. Are we going? Are we looking? Are we seeking for lost coins? In addition to the woman's commitment, I see the discovery of the coin. Because she was committed, she found what she was looking for. In verse number 9 it says, And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Those who seek will find. Those who are looking for opportunity to share the gospel will find that opportunity. Those who are seeking to share the truth will find those who have never heard the truth. As we look at this parable of the lost coin, let us be challenged to light our candles, to get out our brooms, and go find those that have never heard. The lost sheep, as we looked at this morning, they need direction. The lost coins that we just now looked at lead discovered. But the third parable that the Lord shared here in this uh, passage of Scripture is that of the lost son. We see here that the sheep need direction, the coins need discovered, but the son needs delivered. The sheep represent those who know something is missing and they're desperately looking for it, but they do not know how to find it and somebody needs to direct them to it. Uh, the coin is lost but doesn't know it's lost and somebody needs to discover it uh, and share the gospel. The son, the prodigal son, is a whole different type of individual. Uh, it's a whole different situation when we come to the prodigal son. You see, the prodigal son, uh, it represents those who are lost uh, and they know they're lost, and they do not care that they are lost. This is a whole different type of individual. I've known many people who fit this description, and I'm sure you do as well. These are those who have walked away from the truth. They've heard the truth. They're familiar with the truth. Maybe they've heard it in great detail. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they've just heard parts and bits of it and they know of it, uh, but they know the truth. They know that Jesus is the way of salvation. They know the gospel and that they need to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they don't understand it entirely, but they know enough of it to know that they're going to walk away from it. They know the truth and they choose to walk away from it. They're deceived by the glitter and the glamour of the world. They follow their own reasoning and ignore the truth of God's word. This is who the prodigal son represents. With the lost sheep, we must go find them and direct them back to the fold. With the lost coin, we must light a candle, sweep the house and discover them and bring them back to the Savior. But when we come to the case of the lost son, it's a completely different approach. And I believe in some ways, reaching the prodigal sons is the toughest of them all. We refer to him as the prodigal son because he willingly walked away. He left the father's house. A father that had enough wealth and enough uh, comforts and enough uh, 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 security that he was able to give 
a living to each son. This father was not hard up. This father had plenty. He had everything that the son needed. He had everything that he could ever want. But we see that the prodigal son willingly walked away from what he knew the father could offer. In other words, this would be someone who knew what heaven had to offer but chooses the things of this world over the security of salvation. No amount of pleading, no amount of reasoning of the father with the son would change his mind. Now the Bible doesn't record that the father tried to talk the son out of his decision, but this father was a wise man. You don't become a man of wealth without being wise about the way of the world and how to handle money. And I'm sure the father said, now son, don't go waste all this money. Son, don't take this and just, I know the big city's lights has caught your attention, but don't just go blow it all. Son, be wise with your money. Invest it. There's some property down the road adjacent to my farm. We can get you your own farm. Let's invest it wisely. Come on, son. The son said, no, no, there's some things that's caught my eye, and that's what I want, and that's where I'm going. No amount of reasoning, no amount of pleading would change his mind. He decided to walk away, and he gathered his things, and he left. Now, I do believe that as parents, we ought to do everything in our power to instill in our children a desire to follow God. And I believe that if we instill that desire in their heart and if we guard our own lives and we guard what we allow into our homes and we guard the things that we allow our children to feed on, I believe that there is a very high percentage of children who will accept the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of that. But no amount of preparation, no amount of training can take away the fact that every human being has a free will and every human being is going to make their own choice. And there are some who say, Dad, I'm going to gather my things and go. We all know individuals who have chosen this path. We've taught them, we've directed them, we've explained. Yet the pull of the things of this world has been too strong. They make the choice to walk away from everything we've taught them. You see, while coins need discovered and sheep need directed, prodigals need delivered. They need delivered. The Bible refers to the things of this world. The Bible refers to the temptations of Satan. The Bible refers to sin as a snare, something that grips you and holds you and will not let you go. Uh, boy, whenever you are trying to catch a fish out of the water, Brother Terry knows this, uh, you get the flashiest, most attractive, thing that you can to attract that fish's attention so you can snare him. A couple years ago, I was doing a little bit of trapping, trying to catch some different things in the woods. I caught mostly skunks and possums, but anyway, I was trying. And if you go out there and you bait that trap with that which is most attractive. Now, that which is most to possums and skunks and coyotes and coons is not anything that attracts you and I. But it was what was most attractive to them. Boy, you put that stinky bait out there and you put the thing 
something to catch their eye. You want to lure them in. You make it look good. You make it look appealing. And they come in and then they are caught. You see, whenever young people or even adults decide that they're going to walk away from the truth, the devil has put something in front of them that has attracted them and it has lured them away from the things of God. And when he gets them where he wants them, he catches them. They need delivered. They need delivered. They need to be loosed from the chains of sin. The glitter and glamour has attracted them, but then the bondage and desire has enslaved them, and they find them in a place where their pride refuses to release them. And here they sit in a pit of despair, reaching for any morsel that the world might have to offer too proud to admit that they made a mistake in going after the glitter and glamour of the world. They need delivered. The only hope for these individuals is to return to the Father, that they might be delivered from these chains that is holding them fast. Many times, many times, this is tough, this is tough, Many times that deliverance, that desire for deliverance doesn't come until they're at the bottom of the barrel. That desire to turn doesn't come until they're at the end of their rope. As parents, we love our children. And so I understand the request that I'm getting ready to talk about. But many times you'll see someone who has walked away from the things of God and you look at their life and it's a train wreck. And they're having problems. Maybe they're having health problems. Maybe they're in trouble with the law. Uh, maybe maybe who, who are having trouble at work. We could go on and on. There's all sorts of things. And the parents who love their child and want the best for their child will say, pray for my child. Uh, pray for these health problems. Uh, pray that they get their work situation figured out. Uh, pray that, they, that this situation is taken care of. And oh, I understand the heart of the parent. Uh, I understand what's wanting, wanting best for your children. Uh, but many times uh, what is best uh, is let them get to the bottom of the barrel so they recognize uh, that they need deliverance. You know what? Too often we think that the best life uh, is a comfortable life uh, here on this earth. But if we're not careful, we'll pray them out of their hardship and they'll have a comfortable life on this earth and a terrible life in eternity. It's better off to let them get a little uncomfortable here so that they recognize they need to be delivered and then they'll come back to the Father and be freed from the chains of sin. But then whenever they decide to come home, Lord, praise the Lord when they decide to come home. And you know what? If you have a child, that because of their free will, they've walked away from the things of God and they've said, we're done with that. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Oh, they might be acting tough. They might talk tough whenever you talk to them. They might be full of kinds of hateful things to say to you. It might seem that they totally reject you. Uh, but let me tell you, they are full of pride and they don't want to admit they made a mistake. Uh, but don't you give up hope. Uh, you spent years planting the Word of God in their heart. Uh, you spent years telling them the truth of the God.
and they know what it is. They know what the Father's house has to offer. They know the promises of the Word of God. They know the glories of heaven. And you don't give up hope. And one day, they're going to crawl out of the pig pen and they're going to come stumbling back home looking for deliverance. But when they come back, there's some things they need to find. There's some things they need to find. Here in this story of the prodigal son, I see some things illustrated in the description of the father. When I look at this story, first of all, I see that the father is consistent. Let me tell you, that is absolutely the most important thing you can do as a parent is be consistent. You be who you are regardless of what choices they make. I had a young man tell me recently, a young man who I was had some influence in his life several years ago when he was a young man and he was going through some difficult times and he was bitter and he was angry and he, he really hated church, hated God, hated his parents, he hated everybody. I was able to have some influence in his life and honestly I felt like I didn't have any influence in his life. I tried to help him, I tried to talk to him and I was just met with sullenness and he wouldn't really talk to me and didn't want really to talk about it and spoke to him not long ago. He said to me, he said, I want you to know he's in church now. He's faithful to church now. He said, I want you to know back several years ago when I was going through that difficult time in my life, he said, and I was hateful and disrespectful to you and he said, I want you to know you were consistent. He said, and you made a difference in my life. And I'm where I'm at now because of the impact you made in my life because you were consistent. Honestly, I was blown away because I looked at myself and I'm like, man, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I've did a lot of wrong. I've made, I, man, I don't deserve the compliment. But you know what? It means the world to me that he's back in church and he's serving the Lord and he's doing what he ought to do now. Number one thing you can do is be consistent. The father said, son, I love you. I don't want you to leave. I don't think you're making the right decision, but son, if you ever decide to be, come back home, I guarantee you I'll be right here where you left me doing what I've always done, serving the Lord, being faithful to the Lord. And if you ever want to come back home, this is where you will find me. The worst thing you can do, if you have a child or a friend or a co-worker that walks away from God, the worst thing you can do is quit on God. If anything, you need to lock in tighter than ever before because they're watching you, they're keeping an eye on you, and when they need help, they're going to be coming back to you. We see that the father was consistent. But then the next thing I see here is that the father was receptive. He was receptive. Boy, this one's tough. It's tough, but it's what they need to find when they come home. You see, when kids come home from a life of sin, the evidence of the world is all over them. They're going to look like the world. They're going to smell like the world. They're going to behave like the world. And many times, and I've seen this happen, they're rejected when they come back home because some holier-than-thou person says, you ought to know better than that. Now, they should know better than that. And if you look at the story of the prodigal son, the father got real busy putting different clothes on him and different shoes on him. And he got real busy taking care of all that, but that wasn't the first thing that he did. 
It wasn't how he greeted him. And boy, I've seen too many times those kids finally decide that they're coming back home and they get up the nerve to come to the church house and they come in the church house and they've been gone from the things of God for so long that they do not even recognize how they look. They do not even recognize how offensive they have become. They don't even recognize how far away from the Word of God they are. But they know that they need help and they get up the nerve and they come into the house of God and they look worldly, they smell worldly, they behave worldly and before they even get in the door somebody says, what happened to you? You ought to know better than that and they turn around and say, I would rather stay in the pig pen and they go straight back. We look here at this story and the father seen the son coming and he was receptive. He took off running down the road. He said, here comes my boy. If there's anything I want, the only thing I want is I want to be reunited with my boy. He was receptive and here he goes to be connected to his son. And then when we see, we see when he got to the son, the first thing that he did was he embraced him. So the father was consistent, the father was receptive, and the son is embraced. And we can go on through the rest of the parable we're not going to tonight, but you can find out that things started changing in this boy's life right away. You see, he was ready to repent. <laughs> he knew he had made a mistake. He was ready to get it right. But the first thing he needed to know when he came back is that he was loved. He needed to know that they were willing to accept him, they were willing to forgive him, and that they loved him. And the father goes running, and the father embraces him and lets him know, Son, I love you. And when the son was greeted with this consistent, ready love of the father, the words just started spilling out, Father, I've sinned before heaven against thee. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your servant. He begins apologizing. He begins making things right and we don't have to go any further. The father says son don't worry about it. Come home with me. Somebody go kill a cow. We get ready to eat. We're going to celebrate because the son has come home. Did the son have a lot that he needed to do? Yes. Did he have a lot of growing that needed to take place? Absolutely. Was there a lot of things that needed to happen in his life at this point? Absolutely. But he knew one thing for sure. Dad still loves me. Dad still cares for me. And dad's going to help me get back on my feet. Whenever the prodigals come home, we're not accepting of their sin. We're not condoning their sin. Not saying that the way they've lived is okay or all right. But you can love them and let them know that they're loved without condoning the sin and the wickedness and the way that they've lived. And the father said, I've been consistent. I've received you. And son, I love you. Whenever the prodigals come home, there's some things that they need to find. When we look at this parable, we see that we go after the sheep, the lost sheep. Those that know something's missing and they're looking for the answer, we go after them. We go after the lost coins, the ones that are lost and really are oblivious to the fact that they need a Savior. We go after them. But if you look at the chapter here, the father didn't go after the prodigal son. The prodigal knew that he needed to come back home. And the way the father reached the prodigal was being consistent. 
That's how he reached the prodigal. Faithfully, continually being exactly who he was. You see, there's a temptation. Whenever our children, and that's where it hits us the most, it does affect us in other areas, but it hits us the most in our children. Whenever our children begin to go live a life of sin, because we want to still be connected, we find a temptation to begin loosening up on our own stand on that sin. We start wanting to loosen up a little bit and say, well, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe that is okay. You know, and we're, and we're, we're doing it with the right heart. We want to be accepted by our children. We want to have that influence. And so we begin to, we begin to have this temptation to let up on some things uh, so that they'll accept us. Uh, but you know how to reach them? It's by being consistent. You know who I am. This is who I'll always be. And they will come back home. And when they come back home, they can be returned to the fold. We look at these three parables and we see here some examples of why we need to be busy spreading the gospel. There are sheep who are looking for an answer. There are folks who are lost who don't even know about the Savior. And there are prodigals who need to know that they can come home whenever they hit the bottom of the barrel. Why do we need to be telling the world about Jesus? Because Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, thank you for bringing me back to it and, Lord, causing me to look at it again and, Father, Lord, showing the truth that is revealed here. Father, I pray that we will be a group of people, uh, Lord, whose hearts are set on winning those to you. Lord, help us watch for those who are looking for an answer. Lord, help us direct them to you. Lord, let's help us discover those that don't know about you and help us to tell them about you. And Father, Lord, I pray that we will be a faithful Christian. So Lord, those that have chosen to walk away from you, well, Lord, know that there's a place that they can come back to you. Help us, Lord, be a light in this community and tell a lost world about a Savior that can save. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bless us as we go our different ways home. Bless us throughout this week. Help us, Lord, to be a witness for you. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank each of you for being here. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful Labor Day tomorrow.